there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. It's Remembrance Day. It's a day which means a lot to me. It always has. Part of it has to do with loving bagpipe music. (laughs) Part of it is having a good imagination. I listen to stories about the experiences of those who served, and I try to imagine what they went through. And I know it doesn't remotely come close to what they actually experienced. But it's a hint, and it means that what they actually went through is so much more, so much worse than I can possibly imagine. Um, so to take a few moments on Remembrance Day to think about that, to appreciate it, is literally the second least thing I can do. The least thing would be to ignore it. Because of them, we have the freedoms we have, which are not universal. There are many, many countries in the world whose citizens do not enjoy the freedom I do. So I do not, I will not take it for granted. But what does that mean, freedom? (sighs) To me, it means I can write whatever story I want to write. It means I can criticize my government without fear of having my ass hauled off to jail. It means I can wear whatever I want, even if it looks silly and ridiculous. It means both my son and my daughter can go to school to study and learn to be whatever they want to be. It means I can follow the religion of my choice or non-religion. And you can't force yours onto me, nor can the government force me to follow the religion of their choosing, which does not mean I'm not interested in learning about your religion. And it means I can block someone who treats me unkindly or disrespectfully. And yes, it means we can protest when our needs are not being met. Does freedom mean we can do whatever we want? No. That would be chaos. Does it mean I'm free to run red lights and stop signs because I'm in a hurry and my needs are way more important than yours? Of course not. We have rules that keep people safe, like wearing seatbelts and life jackets and crossing the street at the crosswalk. Does freedom mean we can go around stealing or committing violent crime willy-nilly? Is it a violation of a restaurateur's freedom to follow health and safety guidelines so there aren't vermin in my food? Um, duh. Is it a violation of our freedom to be asked to use a condom to prevent unwanted pregnancy and the spread of sexually transmitted infections, or to wear a mask to prevent the spread of a deadly virus? Of course not. Come on. Of course not. Those who served did not make those sacrifices so we could live in chaos and go around not giving a shit about each other. No, they sacrificed so that we have the freedom to care about ourselves and our family and our friends and our neighbors and our communities. And on Remembrance Day, I take time, a few brief moments, to think about those who made those sacrifices in wars and other forms of protest, and I thank them. They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, 
nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 5 Are You Prepared to Pay? All I'm saying is that he is our host. You shouldn't have opposed him so openly. Derry leaned against the mantel in the guest sitting room. How silly of me, Kier said sarcastically. I thought we were having a discussion. You ought to have warned me that when Lord Fearon's opinion is on the table, nobody is permitted to bring up any other facet of the issue. She had thought her friends were off hunting with Fennel's brothers, and she'd hoped to be alone. She felt bad enough after hearing Fennel's news without Derry adopting his captain rule and taking it upon himself to admonish her. She crossed her ankles on the low table, displaying a more relaxed attitude than she felt. Derry let out a sigh of exasperation. It wasn't so much what you said as how you said it. She raised her eyebrows at him and he sat in the chair opposite. I saw the look on your face. You knew what you were doing asking that question about his preparations. You were trying to provoke him. Someone had to. He's completely naive. I merely brought it up to force the discussion he didn't want to have. I do not think that was an appropriate role for you to play. Whose is it, then? She sipped her wine. His peers, Derry said. It was shabby of you, especially after his kindness. <sniffs> she snorted, nearly spitting wine everywhere. Oh, very kind. He wouldn't have agreed to anything if his wife hadn't let him know it would be socially unacceptable not to. Besides, she added insistently, I think I showed remarkable restraint given the ridiculousness of the conversation. Yes, Kier, but you have to admit that when you restrain yourself is when you finally come down to everyone else's level of overwrought and disrespectful. Everyone agreed with me, she said. You know they did. I admit I went too far at the end, and I took responsibility for that. By the gods, Kier, you're working for Valraker. You are always an ambassador for him. Your behavior needs to reflect that, or it speaks ill of him. Oh, don't throw that ambassador shit at me, Derry. She pointed a finger at him. I haven't dedicated my life to him. You have, and I'll thank you not to keep imposing your knight's code of ethics on me. I'm never going to be you, and the sooner you accept that into your thick head, the sooner we will arrive at a better understanding. He said nothing, but she saw his wounded pout out of the corner of her eye. Anyway, the purpose was served, she went on with an effort at a civil tone. Maybe now he'll do a little bit of thinking. Just like you're going to think about the wisdom of your actions, he said. She looked at him coolly. Okay, speaking of taking on inappropriate roles, my lord. He stiffened and had the decency to look a bit guilty for his patronizing manner. Are you telling me I'm wrong, she asked. His eyes softened. To feel that way, no. To speak it aloud, yes. His elbows rested on his knees, and he placed his chin on his clasped hands. She stared at the cold heap of ashes in the fireplace. You're probably right, damn you. And now Fearon's not going to give us what we asked for, Derry said bitterly. That could mean the difference between success on this mission or none. I don't need to tell you this is life or death. That did it. She stood up. Okay, thanks, Derry, she sneered. I promise to take all the blame when the mission fails. 
Taking her wine cup with her, she swept out of the room and went to her chamber. Ambassador for Valraker. Now Derry had another story to tell him, another strike against her. She racked her brain for a way to make amends. Skimnoddle shrank back against the wall outside the sitting-room door as Kier flew out in the other direction. He had arrived hoping to find someone to teach his favourite dice game to. Having overheard the better part of their conversation, the halfling found it very interesting that Derry actually let Kier call him out for superciliousness. Skimnoddle couldn't imagine anyone else getting away with it. Tea time found Captain, Mage, Dwarf, and Halfling sharing tea, biscuits, and fruit in the sitting room. Fennel and Kier had declined the invitation to join them. It was the first opportunity they'd had to discuss their options now that they had none. Skimnoddle rolled dice and counted between bites of biscuit. "'I still say good for her,' Janik harumphed. "'Why, Janik, I do believe you are siding with Kier,' Jaskellen smiled. The dwarf's good eye glared at him. "'It's not personal. It's the principle.' Ah, good. I would hate to think that your distaste for Kier were all just for show. That is the one thing I have come to count on all these many weeks. Derry frowned into the fire. I confess I don't quite understand it. He didn't want to give us anything in the first place, but then he agreed to it to please Lady Fearon. Doesn't he still want to please her? You mean why would he stop wanting to help his wife's friend just because of Kier? Janik said. Well, yes, it comes off like he was looking for an excuse not to give us anything. Jaskellen cocked his head. That could be. Maybe we rubbed him the wrong way from the outset. We came in here as guests, prevailing upon his hospitality. Then we prevailed upon his generosity by asking for a favor. Then we insulted him. I like the way you keep saying we, Janik said gruffly. We were quite polite. She was less so. He settled comfortably back into his old ill feeling toward Kier. Ah, there's the Janik we've come to know and love. Derry poured himself more tea. "'I agreed with what she said, but just remember when Kami refuses to help us that it wasn't my fault,' the dwarf said. Skimnoddle continued to play dice, listening intently. Something about the discussion bothered him, but what precisely, he couldn't say. He knew the others did not take him seriously yet, being so new to the group, so he wanted to be sure of himself before speaking. The dice rattled on the table. He was up to 8,500 points in only 12 turns. "'I just can't bring myself to blame him,' Jaskellen carried on. "'I think if I were in his position, I too would not want to bestow any favours on us.' Derry picked up a jam-covered biscuit and leaned back, crossing his booted ankles. "'I would to Aiden that Kier would learn to use her head and keep our mission at the forefront of her thoughts. I appreciate her... her energy, but she's got to learn to harness it.' And Fennel encourages her by leaping to her defense, he added in a mutter, and Skimnoddle glanced at him. Jaskellen leaned over and touched the captain's elbow. Perhaps there will yet be something we can offer, he said hopefully, some service we can provide. Skimnoddle's resounding tones made the others jump. I find I must object to this chastisement of my lady, he announced, having discovered what was bothering him. Derry's mouth hung open, the biscuit poised. "'It irks me to hear such blame being placed on Kier "'for this apparent loss of offering to Kami,' the halfling went on. "'It was my impression upon embarking on this journey, this adventure, "'that our ambition was not to find a gift for Kami, "'but to find a cure for the Lady Alon Mare. "'We have not yet failed in that. 
I see no need to attribute culpability to anyone until such time as true failure occurs. That is all. They stared at him, speechless. Derry thoroughly chewed the biscuit and swallowed before nodding and saying, Thank you, Skimnoddle, for putting things back into perspective. Fennel's book lay in his lap. He hadn't slept well. Unable to concentrate, he let his mind wander, communing with the ancient trees outside the window of his bedroom. He had come and gone and come again, but those old friends were always there, so dependable. They never let their emotions get the better of them. They did not promise one thing, then change their minds just because someone offended them. Their feelings could be hurt, certainly, and once in a great while they even were moved to anger— even in their worst moments, the old folk were always better at communicating than any person Fennel had ever known. They never minded when he talked their ears off, so to speak. They could always be relied upon to give their honest opinions with tact and diplomacy, caring for the feelings of those who lived among them. Much more so than we two-footers do for each other, the elf thought dejectedly. A rap on his door drew him away from the window. Yes, he called. The door opened and noiseless feet stepped in. Mother! He smiled and straightened his slumped body, tossing the book onto his small table. Fennel, my son, she said warmly. I hope I am not interrupting. No, certainly not, mother. Where you're concerned, any time is a good time. He rose and put his arms around her slight frame. I'm sorry I have not been in to see you before now. "'It's all right. I'm glad you came by. There's so much to tell you. I've tried to remember each and everything I've done so I could share it with you. I don't even know where to begin.' She smiled, sitting down on his bed. "'I am always overjoyed to see you, Fennel. But there is ever an underlying sadness knowing it is only for a short time and that you must leave again.' "'I know,' he said. "'I never know whether it's a good thing to come home for these short visits or if I'd be better to stay away.' "'No, never that,' his mother said, laughing. "'Staying away would not do at all. "'I should become bored to self-destruction "'if I didn't have your visits to look forward to, short or not. "'You're the only one in the family who ever does anything interesting. "'Who would tell me stories of distant lands "'and fill my dreams with exciting adventures and heroes and heroines? "'And for the gods' sake, who would let me know "'what's really going on in the world? "'Your father certainly does nothing to find out.' Fennel stared. Mother! He saw the twinkle in her eye, and they both laughed. Honestly, Fennel, he's been driving me crazy lately, she sighed. He does worry about Dregor, you know. I think he feels his choice is truly what is best for our people. Many of the elves do not agree, including Rupee and Pollen. She saw the look on Fennel's face. Oh, yes, your brothers are not blind. They won't let this go on. I went and talked to him last night. Fennel said, and told his mother what he'd said to his father. She tilted her head in surprise. "'He told me not to come back,' Fennel finished glumly. "'Well, that's rubbish. Don't you listen to him.' Fennel looked a question at her. "'I was lady of the Donnan Forest long before he was lord of it,' she said with a smile. "'I have always left military decisions up to him, but he does not have absolute power and cannot decide things of that nature on his own.' Fennel grinned and placed his hand on hers. Though his was slightly larger, they had the same shape and dexterity. "'Your friend Kier is very beautiful,' she said suddenly. "'Well, yes,' he said, taken aback. "'How long have you known her?' "'A couple of months, I guess. Valraker met her in Wanaka and asked her to join us.' "'You're glad he did.' "'Well, sure,' he smiled shyly. "'You admire her?' 
Fennel shrugged, then nodded, because in that moment he knew she was right. She seems to be of good character. Are you sure there isn't even a little bit of elf in her? she asked thoughtfully. Have you seen her ears? And surely you've noticed her fluidity of motion. Oh, mother, I doubt it, Fennel chuckled, shaking his head. That's just wishful thinking. She has no elven qualities that I can see. That hot temper and stubbornness clearly mark her as human through and through. Still, I have no objection to humans, though your father may feel differently. I've already pointed out that he may not be of sound mind at the moment, and it is widely known that half-elves possess many remarkable qualities. <laughs> Fennel laughed. Oh, mother, are you suggesting I pursue Kier as a wife? Why not? <laughs> You're only saying this because she's the first woman you've seen me with since Marybelle left me high and dry. And even if I am, I say again, why not? For the simple reason that Kier Halladin knows her own mind better than I know the shape of my hand. If I were on her list of desires, she'd already have me. Don't brush the idea off completely, my son. A woman who knows her own mind is quite capable of changing it. Fennel threw his head back and laughed, hugging his mother. <laughs> Thanks for looking out for me. You could start trying to get into her good graces by taking a bath, she suggested with a crooked smile. No way! The easiest way to scare a girl off is to be too obvious. If I bathe, I run the risk of chasing her away forever. Oh, Fennel, it's so good to see you. You too. But that isn't the only reason I wanted to see you today. Oh? Your father may have overturned his promise of aid for your venture, but I have not. Here. She handed him a small bundle wrapped in a piece of deep red cloth. Fennel unwound the cloth. Inside was a silver bell, so tiny that he could have concealed it in one hand, and so bright that he was afraid to touch it lest it tarnish before his eyes. As if reading his mind, his mother said, "'Don't worry, you can't spoil it. It's magical.' Fennel's eyes widened. "'Where did you get this?' "'It was a wedding gift from a former suitor. It's magic, but I never had a chance to use it. I was told that its ring can be heard from miles around, but only by those that are trusted by the bearer. They will be able to follow the sound and locate it. It could be quite useful for an adventurer like yourself.' Then I ought to keep it myself and not give it to Kami. But, Mother, are you sure you want to part with this? Oh, well, one shouldn't have such an attachment to things, should one? Anyway, if it can help your cause, it will be worth it. I've never had a use for it, and it's going to waste in my drawer. Besides, I know it is something that will catch Kami's attention. Try giving him your other things first, because if you don't have to give it to him, you may as well keep it, and I hope you find it handy some day." But if those other things don't suffice, this certainly will. You're so sure of this? His mother sighed and smiled gently. Kami was the one who gave it to me. Kier's conscience gnawed at her even as they lost sight of Placatha behind them. It wasn't that she wished she hadn't said anything to Lord Fearon. It was just that a part of her saw Derry's point. They were on a peaceful mission, nothing related to Dregor and the Allied strategies— it might have been a different story if they had been seeking Lord Fearon's participation in the war effort and he'd refused on the grounds he stated. This visit was not the time to discuss such things. She should apologize to Derry. But I just can't bear to hear that smug tone of his again. It wasn't as if he needed to be told he was right. 
Kier stared at the road ahead of her, every moment expecting Derry to try to break the silence by asking her what was on her mind. He knows. He's waiting for me to say it. The road through the forest was a trade route, servicing Placatha's connection with towns beyond the forest. This morning the company had taken the northern fork that headed for Troche, bypassing the eastern turnoff for Prost. The dense forest had thinned as though it had been sifted, giving way to maples and pines, and the wider road allowed them to ride side by side along the wagon tracks. Occasionally they had to sidestep out of the road for a buggy or cart to pass in the opposite direction. The traffic was helpful in hiding their trail, but they continued to play it safe, having Jaskelin toss his tracking confusion spell every once in a while. Kier and Derry plodded along behind Skimnoddle and Jaskelin, who were arguing the merits of copper versus tin for the purpose of both magic and cooking. "'Look, you're right, okay,' she blurted out in an undertone. "'I'll try not to mouth off every time someone irks me.' Derry chuckled softly. Anger flared. "'You don't believe me, do you?' she said. "'Don't get so defensive. It's only that you sounded irked even as you said it.' She sighed and glared ahead of her again. "'Right again, damn him!' "'Anyway,' Derry continued, "'it isn't that I'm asking you to change the way you feel. "'You might try a cautious assumption that people are on our side. "'Try not to get your back up so easily. "'Lord Fearon wasn't on our side.' "'He seemed about to speak, then let his breath go. "'Shaking his head, he said, "'You're missing the point.' She gave in. No, Derry, I'm not. Really. I'll try to be more... She couldn't think of a way to end the sentence. How about patient with people, Derry suggested. He was smiling now, so Kier knew things were all right. There remained nearly a week in the journey to Kami's Tower at the base of the Black Mountains on the eastern edge of the plains of Kalkamar. The company camped in forest, plain, and foothill, with, thankfully, no further incident of attack by wild animals, magically enlarged or otherwise. With the spring showers, they were very happy to have Valraker's tent cloth and stout pegs. They fashioned support poles from the wood around, and though the shelter was meagre, they were grateful for it. Each night, Kier's sense of foreboding deepened as they moved closer to their destination. Kami lived in the guarded realm. Likely his tower was built there ages before the guarded realm existed as such. He did not claim allegiance to the Allied forces any more than Lord Fearon. He held himself aloof from all the goings-on in the surrounding world. Valraker had said he had reason to believe, however, that the wizard would be more disposed to siding with them than with the Dark Lord, should the need for choice arise. Kami's magic was, by all accounts, every bit as powerful as Dregor's, though he wasn't as demonstrative. And considering Kami could have already taken sides with Dregor but hasn't, is something, Valraker had said. He is a quiet man, craves privacy, and likely just can't be bothered to take a stand against Dregor. A showdown between the two of them would be interesting to see, actually. But really, I think Kami would find it amusing to lend his support to the underdog in a case like this. That conviction of Valraker's gave the group courage as they drew nearer to their destination, and discussion naturally turned toward what they might encounter. "'I will take on the task of speaker,' Jaskelin said. "'As second, as well as the only mage in our party, I believe it is my role. Not to mention that if he deigns to entertain our request at all, he may be more likely to do so with a fellow magic user. Not that I would ever presume to be his equal,' he added modestly. "'Surely he will at least listen to our request,' Derry said. 
Well, we're not asking him to contribute anything to the fight against Dregor anyway, Fennel pointed out. Jaskelin shook his head and frowned. I can't imagine what it will take to persuade the most powerful wizard in Rydras to involve himself in a strictly personal matter. I'm sure we'll be able to come up with some sort of arrangement, Kier said. Living all alone like that, there has to be something he wants. The charm of the once-night Frederick Haland was bound to come in handy occasionally, odd, though, that he should use it to oppose the one who trained him in it. But he banished that thought from his mind as he employed his talent in speaking with the young elven scout. "'We have been racing after Captain Derry for several days with news to impart,' he explained. The fellow was very sorry to say that Valraker's company had left two days ago. "'But if the message is as important as you say, I wish you all speed in catching them up.' the elf said, and saluted them as he sent them north on the tracks of their prey. Close, so close they were, Hunter could practically hear the rasp of sharp steel on bone. Jaskelin felt the weight of responsibility, but he did not allow it to slow his pace. The company rounded the spur of the mountain, the last obstacle before the Bay of Grassland, at the centre of which stood the Tower of Kami, like a lone piece on a game-board. The riders reined in their horses and sat silently for a moment. Jaskelin felt the bite of the stiff grass more keenly under his feet as he surveyed their destination with the trepidation of a juvenile. The westering sun cast a hard-edged U-shaped shadow to surround the tower like a claw about to enclose it in its grip, and Jaskelin sympathized with it. He fully expected that grip to grasp him equally tightly the moment he entered the tower— if the wizard didn't kill them all with a wave of a dismissive hand. The mage clutched his staff to his chest and swallowed. Dark windows stared at the group from high up the sides of the ominous obsidian structure, immeasurably deep eyes performing sentry duty for their master. "'Do you suppose he knows we're coming?' Kier asked rhetorically. Jaskelin was certain the wizard had been watching them from afar." "'We will be required to relinquish our weapons,' said Derry, recovering his voice. Jaskelin sensed his disquietude. "'Well, if that is what is required, that is what we will do,' the mage said, "'to show that he, at least, would not hinder the progress of the interview, "'though being parted from his staff would undoubtedly leave him feeling ill at ease. "'It was up to him to show leadership.' They started toward the narrow, cone-shaped tower. A railing rimmed the flat apex, a perfect place to observe the stars. "'He lives in that place all alone?' Fennel said in awe. "'I have to admit I feel quite diminished down here,' Jaskelin said. "'I was cognizant of Kami's vast power, but to be here now and see what he commands, suddenly the tunnel spell I am working on seems far less impressive.' The tower grew. They rode around its west side. A small outbuilding with wooden double doors and low roof squatted next to it. A stable. Derry led Donegill inside, fighting some protest, though the warhorse calmed down once he smelled the food that awaited him. Kier and the others followed, their mounts seemingly reassured by the larger animal's newfound comfort. Jaskelin had no experience with the care of horses, yet even he could see that this was as well-kept a stable as anyone could ask for. Large stalls bedded with fresh wheat straw and wood chips, feed bins newly filled with hay, oats, and maize, and plenty of drinking water. Shelves and racks held all the brushes, combs, and blankets, neatly folded cloths, saddle soap, and leather oil. 
It seemed their host had provided as hospitable accommodations for the animals as anywhere. Giskellen gave a small shudder to see pails of warm, soapy water standing at the entrance to each stall. The power behind these features was unimaginable. If the travellers were unwelcome here, at least their host did not hold the animals responsible. The mage hovered by the door, glancing over his shoulder at the tower entrance that awaited them. He ran through his rehearsed words of introduction, and entreated whatever goddess might be listening to protect him. A short time later, Kier gave Trigg a comforting pat, and they closed and secured the stable door. Derry forced confidence into the lift of his chin, and Jaskelin walked beside him, assuming his role of the party's mage and captain's second. Janik and Skimnoddle followed them up the front stairs, Janik carrying the little mahogany case containing their meagre offering. Kier and Fennel brought up the rear. Fennel fiddled nervously with something in the pouch at his waist. "'What have you got there?' she asked. "'Oh, it's just something I—' "'Nothing.' A thick red gold rope with a knot at the bottom hung like a dead weight next to the blackened oak door. Derry took one deep breath and pulled the cord. If it caused a bell to ring inside, the travellers could not hear it. Kier's heart pounded out the moments, which seemed to amount to a lot more than she thought necessary. She had a vision of the wizard standing inside with his ear to the door, purposely keeping them waiting and chuckling to himself at the nerves he was aggravating. But, she reasoned, if he has such a dim view of visitors, why have a bell cord at all? Finally there was a thud of wood on metal, and the door swung open swiftly and noiselessly. To their surprise, the doorman was Kami himself. Kier had never laid eyes on him, but there was no question that this was the fearsome man they hoped to call host. That wordless greeting was far too aloof and self-assured for it to be anyone else. Kier's immediate thought upon regarding the august face was that their errand was doomed to fail. Kami had no time for them. Sure, he had come to the door himself, but she sensed that it was less to entertain guests or their whims than for his own amusement. For the first time in her life, Kier felt decidedly small and inferior. Even from her lower position on the staircase, Kier was drawn to Kami's eyes, blue, nearly as startling as Fennel's, though for different reason— where Fennel's were bright like a cloudless summer sky, Kami's were deep like sapphires, almost glowing, in a face as black as Jaskelin's. They passed vaguely over the travellers. Apparently unthreatened by the diversified cluster on his doorstep, Kami stepped back and held his arm out. They filed past him. Kier avoided eye contact and repressed a small shudder. She stopped next to Fennel in a small, square, windowless entryway, just large enough for the entire party to stand within and the front door to be closed. A candelabrum hanging from the high ceiling cast weird, soft-edged shadows on the plank floor. Kier saw no other door. Were they going to have to make their request bunched up in here? "'Leave your weapons in the cabinet,' he said in a tenor-ranged voice that was stern yet not arrogant. The sapphires pointed out the location, and one by one Kier and her companions relinquished their defences, some willingly, some begrudgingly. The floor-to-ceiling cabinet had shelves near the bottom for smaller weapons, and a series of hooks and clasps higher up for swords and pole-arms. She unbuckled her belt of sword and daggers and chose a hook for it. Then she bent down and pulled out her boot-dagger. It clattered in after the others onto one of the shelves below. 
As the weapons thunked and clanked into place, Kier observed their kingly host. He was not quite as tall as Derry and not as broad across the shoulders. Those shoulders held a cloak of grey over a tunic of some shimmery fabric in a deep red that sometimes looked black. Black trousers and a black sash about his slender waist. Dark curly hair tussled and spiked with a few hints of grey speckled throughout, oval face with features that might have been a jewel setting, so well defined and precise, and the eyes. The wizard was ageless, about forty, and at the same time much, much older. He radiated an energy both repellent and magnetic. Kier couldn't keep her eyes off him. Did he dress up just for us? Your staff is also a weapon, dear mage, he murmured. Jeskelin hid his frown with a bow and placed his staff in the cabinet next to Janik's axe. Then, with no tactile assistance, the heavy metal mesh door clanged shut, sealing the weapons in their prison. "'Don't worry. Your effects will be returned to you upon your departure. None of you is capable of opening the door.' For all that Kier would normally be tempted to try after such a speech, in this case she believed him. He wheeled around with a sweep of his cloak, and to her surprise a doorway had opened up in the wall by the front door. She followed her friends behind him into a sitting-room, larger than the entrance hall, and better equipped for a discussion. Cushioned benches and sofas lined the walls, upholstered in rich greens, blues, and reds. The furniture looked comfortable, but nobody was disposed to sit. The chamber felt as homey as Kier's mother's front room, though Della would have covered the blank wall on the left with a quilt or painting. All the walls were dark stone, but possessed surprising warmth. Another chandelier hung from this ceiling, and its light was supported by the natural light from the corner window. Window? Kier looked at it suspiciously. She was certain she had seen no corresponding window on the outside of the building. She moved toward it, but was startled into turning about when Kami's voice began again. "'You must pardon my way of greeting. It isn't often I have visitors, and I'm afraid I can trust no one immediately.' I never trust anyone entirely. Help yourself to beverages, he said, nodding at a low maple wood table that displayed two pitchers, one of water and one of a dark brown liquid that steamed. It occurred to Kier that there was some irony in his expectation that they would trust him immediately, but Skimnoddle did not seem to have noticed it. He leaned over the hot stuff, sniffed it loudly, poured himself a mug, and took a sip, pronouncing it unparalleled. Their host looked amused and nodded his thanks for the halfling's appreciation of his brew. The others, seeing no adverse effects exhibited by Skimnoddle, finally accepted the offer as well, and soon all held mugs of either hot or cold liquid. As Kier replaced the water jug on the table, she glanced at the wizard. He was watching her profile with his head cocked to one side as if waiting to get a better look. She straightened involuntarily, and as his eyes fell fully upon her, they widened in surprise. "'Oh,' he said, I haven't seen one of your kind in a long time. My kind, she thought. Surely he had seen a woman in recent history. Well, perhaps not if he spends so much time alone in this dismal place. Well, let us not waste time, he said abruptly, his eyes shifting from her to roam over the entire group. I know you are here to ask something of me. No, that is not a demonstration of my power. Nobody comes to see Kami unless there is some need. I may live like a recluse, but I am no stranger to the ways and means of the outside world. Now tell me what you want, so I may reject you and get on with my work. Jeskelin stepped forward, cleared his throat, and began. Lord Valriker of Eckert sent us on behalf of his friends Lord Cian Barthelin of Shea, Coral, and Heath. 
Lord Kean's wife is dreadfully ill, and Jaskelin went on to describe her illness and their theory of how Kami might help. The wizard looked bored, even a little annoyed, as if he had heard the same tale countless times. Even as Jaskelin spoke, the wizard's blue eyes wandered over the party to rest again on Kier. She returned his look, but for some reason could not withstand his stare and looked away, feeling somehow ashamed of her weakness. "'The healers at Heatha are highly skilled, and yet—' "'What is your name, my dear?' Kami interrupted. Jaskelin stopped short in irritation and cleared his throat. Derry looked at Kier as if she had committed yet another social blunder. She was tempted to tell Kami off for his rudeness, but the wizard's voice was much gentler than she had expected from one so wise and ancient— it was soothing. The tension in the room intensified in spite of it, and her companions shifted uncomfortably. Kier Halliden, she answered, with her chin up in an attempt to disguise her uneasiness. She was both afraid and thrilled by the way he looked at her. Well, interesting. He nodded slowly. Welcome. Can you tell us about the antidote, Kami? Derry asked, breaking off their little exchange. The wizard snapped his gaze in the younger man's direction. Kier felt a glimmer of disappointment that confused her. "'Can I tell you?' Kami said, ambling around the chamber. "'Yes, of course I can tell you. The condition from which the Lady Allonmere suffers is one I have heard of and even seen before. Naturally, I can tell you. I am Kami.' With this, he threw a glance at them over his shoulder, and his eyebrows asked if they had dared to forget the fact— "'Will I tell you? Hmm, that is another question entirely. "'You cannot expect something for nothing, you know,' Kami went on with an occasional sidelong glance at Kier. "'She was sure she could see the thoughts forming and turning in his mind, "'and her belly fluttered with something less than contentment. "'What is in it for me? Hmm? "'People come and ask me for favours because they know my wisdom is unrivaled. "'Why should I do it? Do I ever ask others for favours in return?' He stood just a few feet from Kier, looking pointedly at her with an odd little smile. For everything there is a price. She shivered in spite of her efforts at calm and willed her eyes to stand on fennel. Are you prepared to pay? the wizard hinted. Jaskelin broke the tense silence by clearing his throat again. <clears throat> yes, Kami, we gratefully acknowledge the time you have taken from your tasks to speak with us, and have brought these fine jewels all the way from Shale. We offer them in return for this knowledge. Kier silently applauded Jaskelin's attempt to both heighten interest in their meagre offering and downplay its very meagerness, lest he raise Kami's expectation too high. Would you care to see them? He gestured for Janik to bring forth the chest. The dwarf moved to do so, but was stopped by a wave of Kami's hand. Pah! the wizard said with mild exasperation. I have more jewels than I know what to do with. I'd like something different. Guilt lurched through Kier, knowing she was responsible for their lack of a more interesting gift. Fennel's hand moved to his pouch again, and he opened his mouth to speak, but stopped himself. "'I realize our offering is perhaps somewhat common,' Derry said, resuming his usual diplomatic tone, aware of how easy it might be to lose favor with the wizard. "'But we've come a very long way, and we don't have much time to go on a hunt for something else. What do you have in mind?' "'Hunt?' Kami said impatiently. "'Nobody said anything about a hunt. "'Is it not obvious to you fools? "'Why, my fee is right here in this room, if she's willing.' "'Dumbfounded shock chilled the room "'as her friends looked to Kier for her reaction. "'She just stared at the wizard, stunned. 
What do you want from me? Kami moved over to her. Do not be frightened, my dear, he smiled. I merely am asking for your company this evening, that is all. She looked at him sidelong. What does that entail, my company? You need an antidote. I need a companion for the evening, he said reasonably. Why not just Skellen, she grumbled, glancing at the frowning mage, whose eyes brightened hopefully. I'm sure he'd love to- I don't need to spend time with Jaskellen. I need to spend time with you. Kier had a bad feeling that the wizard would not be persuaded. The sapphires beheld her with a quiet intensity that caused moths to flutter up her back. You must trust me, the wizard said, his voice silky as a rose petal. Kier pulled herself away and walked to the window, annoyed at the intense combination of fear and attraction. "'Why should I trust you?' she demanded. "'It is you who needs the antidote,' Kami replied, sitting on a cushioned seat and crossing one knee over the other. "'I don't see that you have a choice.' "'Damn him! What did he want from her? How did he hope she'd amuse him? How could she walk blindly into the unknown with this man who could do anything he wished? He'd taken her weapons, not that they'd help her if it came to that, but how could she possibly defend herself if he tried anything magical?' "'Still,' she debated, "'if that is what it would take to get the information they so desperately needed, and maybe this was her chance to make amends for bungling the arrangement with Fennel's father.' Derry couldn't stand the silence." "'We cannot allow this,' he hissed to the others. He faced Kami. "'There must be something else we can give you.' "'No,' Kami smiled, enjoying the distress he had caused. "'We simply cannot allow a member of our party to—to to prostitute herself,' Derry begged the company for support. "'If there is a decision to be made here, it will be mine,' Kier interrupted, wheeling from the window to face him. "'It is not a question of whether or not you will allow this to happen.' Derry gave her a warning look. Kier glared back. If we don't leave here with the antidote for Alan Mare's sickness, we fail, plain and simple. But it isn't up to you to do this on your own, put in Fennel. This is our mission as a company, not just yours. You were all pretty quick to remind me this was life and death back in Placatha, she snapped. I took the blame for Lord Fearon's decision then, and I take it now. This is my chance to make it up. It's not necessary, Kier, Fennel said earnestly. We have another option. Do we? Kier gestured over to where the wizard sat with his arms folded in patient confidence, gentlemanly enough to at least pretend he couldn't hear their dialogue. He's made up his mind. Do you suppose even if we were able to produce some incredible magical object out of thin air, he would want it now? They withered under her defiant gaze. There's nothing else he will accept. She wiped her palms on her trousers. I'm afraid she's right. Jaskelin's jaw jutted to one side, and Kier knew he was put out but she did not have the time or the inclination to try to mollify him. Derry massaged his head as if the decision had caused him physical pain. Fennel lowered himself into a chair and stared at the floor. Finally, Kier turned to Kami and spoke cautiously. If I agree to go with you now, it does not mean I agree to everything hereafter. Kami nodded in agreement. She looked at her friends to see if they were satisfied. The captain made his final decision. Very well. Derry put a hand on her arm and whispered, "'Just be on your guard.' Kier steeled herself and said, "'I will go with you.' Kami smiled and bowed again. "'I am deeply honoured.' He then turned abruptly to the men. "'A meal awaits you in the adjoining chamber. Then follow those stairs to your sleeping quarters.' 
He took Kier by the hand and led her toward the blank black wall. She gasped as a small doorway appeared in the smooth surface and halted her footsteps. Heart hammering in her ribcage, she swallowed her trepidation and stepped through. When it clicked behind them, the door vanished. Great! Derry threw up his hands. We can't even go after them. I think that was the intention, Janik said dryly. Well, I am not comfortable with this at all, Derry said, pacing. Neither am I, said Fennel. He laid his hand on the pouch that carried the delicate silver bell wrapped in its protective cloth. Can we go eat now, Skimnoddle said. I'm starving. Derry ignored him. Duskellen grabbed Derry's arm. Kier is strong, he said with warm assurance, and she is not a fool. Derry took one final brooding glance at the wall where the door used to be, wishing he could at least see where Kami had taken her. But if Derry was the leader of this group, he could not let his concern overcome him. You're right. He was closest to the door Kami had indicated, so the others followed him through it into the chilly chamber that was to be their lounge for the duration of their stay. Speaking of having the freedom to write whatever story I want, (laughs) I have launched my first of what will be several, if not many, audio shorts. It has been launched and is already available on Chirp and Google Play and Scribed and Kobo um, and should be available on other sites uh, forthwith. The list of retailers is growing, so I'm I'm very excited about that. It is called To Serve and Protect. <laughs> and I say I have the freedom to write whatever story I want. There was at least one editor that took exception to the story. And, uh, well, let's just say this person was very clear on why they did not choose to publish it. But that's totally cool. I was very grateful to have several other people um, communicate to me how much they loved the story. So that gave me the confidence to keep pursuing it. And so consequently, it is now in an Aurora-nominated anthology and um, should be coming available to you. Now, I have already given giveaway codes to that story to uh, a few people on my newsletter list, my mailing list. So I'm putting it out there now that the next 10 people to sign up for my newsletter will get a giveaway code for the story to serve and protect. So all you need to do is send me an email at totallyfantastictitle, all one word, at gmail.com and tell me you'd like to be on my newsletter list and you'll get a giveaway code to listen to to serve and protect through Authors Direct. And just a warning, I'm saying this a lot because I wanted to be clear. To Serve and Protect contains scenes and subject matter which may be disturbing to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you have any questions or comments, you can get in touch through the Totally Fantastic Title Facebook page or send me an email at totallyfantastictitle at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And now, once again, I'd like to thank my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. And thank you to David and Sharon. And a shout out to the original six. And thank you very much to you for listening. 
Go be fantastic.